Well, good morning, Westridge. How are we? Good, good, good. Well, hey, I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's going to be a good morning as we close out this final week of our Stupid Human Trick series. And I hope you've enjoyed the series as much as I have. So let's get our Bibles. Let's go to Judges chapter 16. <clears throat> Judges chapter 16. Now, maybe some of you guys have been here every week. And, uh, and I know that, you know, the weeks that you have been here, that you've taken away some great, great truths and uh, some very practical things that you can apply in your life. Um, here's what I would say, though, and I'm not saying this just because I'm the guy on stage this morning. I'm saying it because it's true. If you miss what we're going to cover this morning, you, you miss it all. Like this whole series basically comes down to this week. And, and here's why. The reason's very simple. Because there is nothing more foundational that we believe as Christians and as Christ followers than what we're talking about this morning. Like, the topic for this morning is the very heart of Christianity. So if you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and write this down, okay? Here's the stupid human trick we're covering today. Believing you're beyond hope. Believing that you're beyond hope. The quickest way to destroy your life is to slip into a mindset where you start believing that you're beyond hope. So Judges chapter 16. Uh, in, in our friend Samson's life, here's what we find in Judges 16 toward the end of the chapter. We find Samson in the most hopeless, helpless place he's ever been in in his entire life. And I just want us to read these verses together so you can see what I'm talking about. Judges chapter 16, we're going to start reading in verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So here we go, Samson, where, where do we find him? He's supposed to be conquering the Philistines. Instead, he's been captured by them. Remember, he's had his eyes ripped out of his head, and now he's their slave. Okay, that, that's where Samson is. And, and it goes on, it says, When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who's killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. So, so not only did the Philistines think it'd be cool to get everybody together to kind of have a celebration, a worship service, uh, to, to celebrate the fact they had captured Samson, but some of them go, hey, let's bring the guy out here and let's have a great time at his expense, right? Like, let's laugh at him, let's make fun of him, let's make Samson, I, I don't know, do whatever people would do back in that day to entertain us. And so we find Samson, he's in this place. that They bring Samson out, the Bible says they make him stand between two pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Samson is in a very hopeless and helpless place here at the end of Judges 16. Now, I think it's worth reminding us that Samson didn't just end up here overnight, right? It wasn't like 
on Monday, things were going well, and Tuesday, oh, I'm, I'm a slave, right? That, that's not how things went. Like, there were a lot of bad decisions in Samson's life that led him to this point. And I just want to remind you of kind of what's going on. Okay, first, we need to remember Samson was a guy who was set apart by God at his birth for a great purpose. And what was the purpose? Here, here was the purpose. The purpose was for Samson to go and to free the Israelites, God's people, from the Philistines. That, that was his purpose. Now, what we see over the course of his life is him not really taking that purpose so seriously, right? Like early on, and we covered this early on in this series, Samson starts breaking his vow to God. Um, he, he starts living in sin and he starts covering it up. He keeps it a secret from the people around him. Um, Samson not only uh, does that, but he also is this guy who starts becoming very angry, anger out of control, kills innocent people, um, drives him into isolation. If we fast forward several years, Samson is this guy who we find sleeping with prostitutes, and he gets involved with this woman named Delilah that he had no business being in a relationship with. I, I tell my high school guys at Westridge all the time, um, not to date crazy, like don't date crazy. Um, you date crazy, you could marry crazy, and if you marry crazy, life is over, right? Samson didn't heed the warning, and because he got involved with the crazy woman, what happened? He was captured by the Philistines, his eyes were ripped out of his head. The Bible says the Lord leaves him. The Lord leaves him. And he's now a slave to the very people that God wanted to use him to conquer. Here's what happened in Samson's life. He blatantly chose sin over God. He intentionally was disobedient to God. And God eventually gave Samson over to himself so that he could feel the weight and the consequences of his actions. Now here's what I would say to us, church. I would guess that there may be some of us in the room this morning that know what this feels like because we're living this right now. Like maybe some of us are in the morning or are in the room this morning and we've made decisions to intentionally pursue sin, to blatantly disobey God. And if you're honest with yourself, when it comes down to it, like you feel at rock bottom right now. You feel hopeless. You feel helpless. It's hard for you to see any light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe like Samson, you feel shame. You feel regret. Maybe you're angry about things you've done or the situation you find yourself in. Maybe some of you, like Samson, kind of feel like giving up at this point. I mean, Samson, we're going to read this in his story in just a few minutes. He wanted to die. Like, he was ready to throw in the towel. That's how hopeless his situation was. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, if this is you. And I want you to listen to me. No matter how bad your situation may be, and no matter how guilty you feel over the mistakes that you've made, I want to encourage you this morning to not lose hope. Do not lose hope. Our God is bigger than your mistakes, and he's bigger than your situation. His grace and his mercy is deep, and it is wide, and his love and forgiveness covers a multitude of sins and failures, including yours. This morning, if you're here and you feel hopeless and you feel helpless, here's my prayer for you. 
I pray that you leave this morning truly believing that you are loved by God. And I pray more than anything that you find the hope you desperately want and need in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's my prayer for you. I want us to do this. Let's flip our Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about the hope and acceptance that we find in Jesus Christ. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he wants to remind them of some things. I want you to start reading with me, Ephesians 2 in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In these first few verses in Ephesians chapter 2, you know what Paul's doing? He's painting a picture of what it looks like to be hopeless. He's painting a picture for us of what it looks like to be helpless. And church, look at me. I want you to understand that all of us in the room have fallen into this hopeless and helpless category at one time or another. Like if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, this passage is describing you. If you're here and you do know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, this passage is describing you before you knew him. Now, now here's what Paul says. I want, you to, I want to break it down for us to, to make it really easy. Paul is saying that being hopeless and being helpless is really about being dead. It's about being dead spiritually. Have you guys ever heard... Um, Somebody get up, guy like me, get on a stage and talk about Jesus and talk about sin and God loves you and Jesus came to save you. And they'll kind of give you an illustration that goes something like this to paint the picture of salvation. They'll say, um, salvation, it kind of looks like you out in the middle of the ocean, right? And you're flapping your arms around and heads barely above water and, and you know, you can't really get yourself to shore. So God throws this life raft out and he wants you to grab hold of it so he can pull you to shore and pull you to safety. You ever heard something kind of like that, similar to that? Paul goes, no man, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Paul goes, your situation is not out in the middle of the ocean flapping around. I need a life preserver. Paul says your spiritual situation is you are dead and your lifeless body is floating across the top of the water. And what you need is a God who can come and supernaturally bring you back to life. You're dead. You can't do anything for yourself. The life raft, it's going to float by you. You have no life in you. You're dead. You ever seen a dead person do anything for themselves? They can't. They're dead. Paul's going, spiritually, that's where we are. We are dead. We're dead in our sin. And he says that the way that we prove that we're dead is very simple. Here's how we prove it. We go out into the world, and we live our lives, and we do whatever we want. That's it. We walk into the world and we live for the things that the world is telling us to live for. This system that Satan has set up in the world to destroy us, Paul says that's what we live for. 
We walk out in the world, we, we do whatever our brain tells us to do. Like if our body tells us to do something, we just do it. We just give in to it. And Paul says the reason is simple. It's because it's in our nature to do that. It's because we are sinners. That's what Paul's saying here. Like, I, I want to make sure you get this this morning. You know that you don't, uh, you, or we don't call you a sinner because you do sinful things, right? Like, you doing sinful things does not make you a sinner. You being a sinner makes you do sinful things. Do, do you get what I'm talking about here? Let me, let me use an illustration, like a dog, okay? I have two shizus at home. Um, if any of you guys would like them, see me after church, and you can have them. Um, now, my wife would kill me, but uh, a, a dog, okay? A dog does not bark to prove it's a dog, does it? Like, you don't go find a dog with your buddy and go, huh, it looks like a dog. You, you think it's a dog? I don't know, man. Let's hang out, see if it barks, right? That's not what you do. You go, that's a dog. And, and when the dog barks, nobody's shocked because that's what dogs do. Dogs bark. When it comes to us, we don't have to look at you and go, I eh, wonder if that guy's a sinner. I don't know, let's hang out and see if he does anything stupid, right? Like, we'll see if he's a sinner. No, no, no. The reason that we do sinful things, and this is the point Paul's making, the reason we do sinful things is because we are sinful people. We're spiritually dead. It's in our nature to sin because we are sinners. We're sinners. Now, here's the thing. Um, If you think it can't get worse, it can get worse. And Paul explains how it gets worse in these, these verses. He says, because we are sinful people, because this is true about us, because we're spiritually dead and we do what we want and we live for the world and we pursue sin, Paul says what we deserve from God is his wrath. That's what we deserve from him. We deserve his anger. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his punishment. I'll make it even more simple for you. What we deserve from God is to die hopeless and helpless people stuck in our sin on our way to a very real place called hell to spend eternity outside the presence of God. This is what it means to be hopeless. This is what it means to be helpless. Like the bad news is we can't do anything to change that. Like like here's the deal, man. If this morning stopped here and I just closed the book and we left I mean if that was the news that we had would we not be the most hopeless people on the face of the planet like I hope you feel the weight of that this morning I mean that's a weighty thing you're dead you're stuck in sin you deserve the punishment of God and you can't do anything to change it you're dead that's weighty here's What I would say to you, um, if you know Jesus this morning, I think one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons a lot of us who say we know Jesus don't appreciate our salvation like we should is because we don't feel the weight of this. There are probably some of us in the room that don't believe that this is true about us. Like we sit back and when we think about salvation and we think about forgiveness and we think about eternal life, I would assume that there may be some of us in the room who almost believe that God owes us those things. Church, look at me. I want you to get this. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. 
That is what makes our salvation and the grace of God so amazing and so good. It's that God actually gives us the opposite of what we deserve from him, even when he doesn't owe us anything. And I want to keep reading the rest of this passage. and You're going to see this in the next couple of verses. Read this with me. Paul goes on and he says two of the greatest words in all of Scripture. He says, but God. Not but us, not but because we're so awesome, not but thank God we figured it out over time. You know, Paul goes, you're dead, you're in sin, you deserve God's punishment. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says, man, God is rich in mercy. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us the opposite. And why does he do that, church? Why does he do that? Here's the simple answer. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. I mean, the Bible, think about this. The Bible calls us enemies of God. That we don't seek him, we don't understand him, we don't want to live for him, we don't want anything to do with him. We're spiritually dead, living in sin, but God loves us anyway. Listen to me, if you're here this morning and you feel hopeless because of decisions you've made, maybe you're here, you're stuck in sin, and you're feeling the weight of that sin playing out in your life, here's what I want you to know more than anything this morning. I want you to know that God loves you. God loves you. I don't care what you've done, what your past looks like, what kind of baggage you drug into this church this morning. God loves you. He loves you. And if you're here this morning and you say, well, James, appreciate that. Um, You don't know me. And you don't know what I've done. How in the world could God love me, forgive me, accept me? Um, Here is... The simple answer to your question. Jesus. That's how I can say that. If you ever question whether or not God loves you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember Jesus. Who does Paul say God made us alive with? Jesus, right? I want you to remember that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life, so that at the end of his life, he could go to the cross to die in our place for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be loved and accepted by God. Everything we deserve from God as sinful people, his anger, his wrath, his judgment, his punishment, Jesus took all that stuff for us. I mean, Jesus went through hell at the cross so that you and I would never have to experience what hell is like. Jesus came to this earth for a purpose, and here was the purpose, to bring spiritually dead people back to life again. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you don't have hope and you've never had your sin forgiven, I want you to know that hope and forgiveness of sin is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And I pray that you come to know him before you leave this morning. For the rest of us, if you're here and you say you do know Jesus, but you still feel hopeless because of sin, because of past decisions, past mistakes, past failures, I want to ask you a question. 
how much do you really think about Jesus? Like when you wake up in the morning and you get that guilty conscience or that, ah, man, how could God accept me, forgive me, love me? How much do you really think about Jesus? And here's the reason I ask this question. Because most of the people I've met over the past 10 years of doing ministry who say they know Jesus yet still feel hopeless because of sin and because of failures and because of past mistakes, they feel that way because they've forgotten about Jesus. They've let themselves slip into this mindset where they start actually believing it's their job to make God love them and accept them. Like, like they get to the place where, you know, it's like, oh, I believe God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for my sins. But now that he's done that and I've prayed this prayer, I feel like it's almost my job again to do good things, be a good person, be a good Christian so that God really loves me, really likes me and stays off of my back. Listen to me, church. If you've bought into that way of thinking, you've bought into a lie. You bought into a lie. The Christian life is not one that we live in response to a bunch of rules so that we can make God like us. Our Christian life is a life that is supposed to be lived in response to how much God loves us and the great love that we see for us in Jesus. I'll give you a picture of this. Um, my wife had a baby three months ago and an awesome little baby girl. I, I don't get a picture of what I'm talking about um, more than I do when I'm holding my little baby girl in my arms. Like, I, I can hold that girl. She can't do anything for me, right? I mean, she can't talk. She can't walk. She can't even sit up by herself. She can do nothing for me as her dad. Um, I have been pooped on. I have been peed on. I have been thrown up on several times since she's been alive. She can't do anything to make up for that. She can't even say, Dad, sorry, I pooped on you, right? She, she can't. But still, as her dad, I love that little girl more than words can express. And my hope for her life is this. My hope is that I would be a dad who loves my little girl so well that if I ask her to do something, tell her to do something, tell her, don't go down that road, baby, it's going to destroy you, that that little girl would look at me and say, that is my dad, and he loves me, and he wants the best for my life, so I'm going to do what he says. That's my hope for my girl. L listen to me, church. That is who God is to us. He is a loving father who wants the best for his kids. And we can't do much for him. We, can we really do anything for God? But you know what he wants us to do more than anything? He wants us to recognize that he loves us and wants the best for us. And he wants us every day as his kids to live in response to his great love for us. That's what Christianity is. And listen to me, church. When you understand that, it is freeing. It's freeing. But Paul kind of explains this in the next few verses. He gives us the reason, right? Like we're dead, we're in sin, we deserve God's punishment, but he makes us alive in Jesus. Well, Paul gives us the reason that God does that. And listen to this because it's insane. Paul says he does this so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, I grew up in a church where I, I heard a lot of times that 
Um, Jesus came, he died for my sins um, so that I could, right, follow this list of rules. I, so that I couldn't drink, couldn't smoke, couldn't watch rated R movies, couldn't hang out with the wrong people, like, uh, could be in church every time the doors were open. Like, that's the reason God made me alive. So I could do all these things. Paul goes, man, it's so much more than that. Paul says the reason he made you alive is so that for the rest of eternity, do not miss this, for the rest of eternity, he could show his kindness and love to us. Church, how crazy is that? That God made dead people alive so that here in this life and in the next, you and I could sit in amazement and wonder at how great and amazing the love and the grace of God truly is and so that we would worship him, give him glory, and live lives to make him known and lift it up above all things in all of creation. Like it's unbelievable to think about that. That God said, I'm going to make James alive so that for the rest of eternity, he can remember how good I am. That's why if you're here and you know Jesus, that's why God made you alive. Listen to me, church. When you get that, I don't have to stand on stage and talk you into doing things. Right? Like when you get that, when you become that person who is amazed at the grace and the love of God he has shown you, I don't have to get up and go, hey guys, let's go share the gospel this week, right? You're going to be running out the doors of this place to go, man, I've got the best news that anybody could ever hear right here in my mouth, and I just need to tell somebody. I don't have to stand up here, and, and nobody else has to stand up here and try to talk you into giving no, I mean, it gets to the giving time, and you're like, man, sign me up. Well, how, where can I give? Because we got work to do. People need to hear how good God is, right? I'll invest. I'll give. Tell me. I don't have to talk you into not putting stuff in your brain that's going to mess your thinking up. I need to turn off shows and turn off TVs and turn off computers because you go, God is too good, man. I find so much more satisfaction in him than I do this. Like, this pales in comparison to how good he is. Guys, you got to get this truth. This is what it's all about. This is Christianity. This is it, man. God loves you. Listen to me. God loves you because he wants to love you. God saves you because he wants to save you. God sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins and to offer us life, help, and hope because that's what he wanted to do. And he wanted to do that so that you and I, at the end of the day, would see how good he is, we'd be amazed by his love, and we'd live our lives in response to his love and his grace. If you're here this morning and you feel hopeless, because of sinful decisions you've made, I want to remind you of something. You have nothing to prove to God. Do you hear me? Church, you have nothing to prove to God. What would be terrible today is this. As you hear a message like this, about how much God loves you, he wants a relationship with you, the worst thing that you could possibly do is walk out of this room and go, well, let me clean myself up, let me do better, let me come to church a few more weeks so that God can really see I'm serious about this. He's not interested in that. And that's not how it works. You have nothing to prove to him. You do not have to work your way into God's good graces. You know what that's called? It's called religion. It's called re religion is, I see a problem, I need to fix it. Right? 
Christianity is, yeah, there's a problem. You're spiritually dead and you can't fix it. And that's why Jesus came. He came to fix things. Listen to me. If you're all about just trying to fix your relationship with God, be religious, do this stuff to make God love you, you can't do that. That's not how this works. Jesus has already done that for you. It's not your job. It's his. Quit trying to prove yourself to God. Listen to me, church. You are loved by him. You are loved by him. Nothing you've ever done could make him love you less, and nothing you'll ever do could make him love you more. Some of you are in the room this morning, and you're hopeless because you've never accepted Jesus as the one who came to fix things between you and God. Some of you are hopeless because you say you've done that, yet you still can't truly believe God loves you. Church, look at me. God loves you. He loves you. The proof of it's found in Jesus. He loves you. What do we need to do? Put away religion. Quit trying so hard to make God like us. And we need to rest under his grace. And we need to find hope in the truth that he already does. Not because of who we are. Not because of what we've done. But because of Jesus. So how how do we respond to that this morning? How do we respond to that? Um, I, I say that we need to respond like Samson did. If you go back to Judges chapter 16, here's what you'll find at the end of this chapter. Samson, again, very hopeless, very helpless, can do nothing for himself. And I want you to to read these few last verses with me because I want you to see how Samson responded in this moment. Verse 28, the Bible says, Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. What did Samson do in his hopeless moment? In this moment where he realized he couldn't do anything for himself, here's what he did. He cried out to God and he prayed a simple prayer. God, remember me. God, please remember me. And how did God respond to him? You know what God didn't do? God didn't point his finger in Samson's face and go, ah, look at you, you dummy. Should have come to me a long time ago. You've really screwed this up, right? God didn't look at Samson and go, Samson, listen, I'm a God of this many chances, and you've used all those chances up, Samson. Sorry, I can't do anything for you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says Samson said, God, remember me, and immediately God remembered him. And the Bible says immediately God restored Samson's strength and in his death he was able to fulfill his purpose more so than he ever did while he was alive. Listen to me, church. Some of you are here this morning and you need God to remember you. You need God to remember you. Some of you are here and you feel very far from God, not because he's left you, but because you've run from him. Some of you are trapped in sin Some of you are living in blatant disobedience. And if you are very honest with yourself, you feel hopeless, you feel helpless, and you're not really sure what to do. Listen to me, you're not beyond hope. 
Our God is a God of hope, and he loves to give hope to people who need it the most. And the promise from Scripture is this. You cry out to God for hope, he gives it. You cry out to God to be remembered, and God remembers, and he will extend grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and hope your way. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, the one who came to fix things between you and God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk to those of us here this morning that do know Jesus. Those of us here who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, um, we're going to sing a song in just a minute. And I want to challenge you to not just let these words come off this screen as just words on a screen. Not to sing this as just another song because we're in church. My prayer is that we sing this morning and we really believe what it is we're singing. That God's love never fails and it never gives up on us. And in death and in life, we can be confident if we know Jesus because we are covered by the love and the grace of our God. Church people, you, you know what we need to do? Here's what we need to do. We gotta quit being so churchy. That's it. This community up here in Cartersville, it doesn't need just another churchy church. It doesn't need another church to run out of the walls and preach religion at people. What this community needs is a bunch of people who love Jesus like crazy more than anything else in life and wants to go into this community to share the good news of Jesus with people who desperately need him. But if you're gonna do that, you gotta actually believe what we talked about this morning. He loves you. He loves you. I wanna pray together if we can. God, you are so good to us. God, if there is one person sitting in this room this morning, God, who is having a hard time believing that you truly love them because of mistakes they've made, decisions they've made, situations they've put themselves in, God, if there's one person, God, would you push into their heart right now in this moment and convince them that you love them? God, remind them of Jesus. God, you gave your son's life in exchange for ours. God, no greater act of love has anyone ever done. God, help us to believe that in this place this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the Bible says coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it is very simple. And here's what you do. You need to confess and believe some things. And you need to confess and believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And you need to believe that Jesus came to do here on this earth what he said he came to do. You need to confess and believe that Jesus is God and that he lived a sinless life and that he gave his life on the cross for your sins and for mine. That Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days later to conquer sin and death and hell so that we could have eternal life. You just tell God those things this morning. God, I believe those things. 
God, save me. God, I believe Jesus paid for my sins. God, give me eternal life. I believe that, that life and death are held by Jesus and him alone. God, give me life. The Bible also says that God loves you so much that when you make that profession, that you trust in Jesus as the one who came to fix your relationship with God, that God will put his Holy Spirit, his very own spirit inside your body so that you can have the power and ability to live the life he's called you to live. And you just ask God for that this morning. God, save me. God, I believe in Jesus. Put your spirit inside of me. God, I want my life to matter. God, here I am. God, take me, use me. God, I want to live in response every day to your great love for me. If you made that decision this morning before you go, I just want to ask you to take your connection card out from your ministry guide, write your name, check the box that said you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior for the first time this morning, and you can drop it off at the Help Center on the way out. We would just want to celebrate with you, get you some resources to help you start in your relationship with Jesus. For the rest of us, look look at me. Let's stand and sing like we believe this. What we're we're about to sing this morning. Guys, we, we get this. Listen to me. Listen to me. We get this. This becomes the most dangerous church that's ever existed. We get this. Things change. You gotta get this. Let's not sing it like we kinda believe it. Let's not sing it like This would be true if I wouldn't have done what I did last night or this morning on the way to church. This is true. This is true. Let's stand. Let's sing this amazing truth together. God, be glorified in this place. We love you.